0: Thank you, Tina, and good morning. Uh, Let me add my word of welcome uh, to all of you. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I I really haven't been here all that long. Uh, My wife and I arrived in the spring of this year, so we haven't even completed a one-year cycle yet. Um, But one of the things that, that lets you know that you're welcomed is when people start playing practical jokes on you. And uh part of my responsibility here is is in small groups giving leadership to the small groups here so I and my wife have been visiting different small groups for the past several months and uh, yesterday I I went to um a men's uh morning study I won't tell you where it meets or who leads it or anything so they can remain anonymous um, and I had a great time with these guys, a great study, great Bible studies, fellowship, prayer together. It was really, it was really, really nice. I was glad to see that going on. Well, I found out this morning just between services that these guys had planned this elaborate practical joke that they were going to pull on me yesterday at the study. And, and the leader was actually going to start teaching all kinds of heresy and, and these other guys were in on it, and they had this all planned out, all of these things they were going to start talking about, and all the guys were going to be agreeing and everything about, it, these heretical things, just to see how I would respond to it. Now, now that was a compliment to me, that they, they were willing to actually do that, but what happened is, the big mistake, when the leader was leaving his house to go to the study, he he spilled the beans with his wife, and she said, There is no way that you are going to do that to Pastor Kevin. Don't even think about doing it. You don't know him well enough. You don't know how he'll respond. And so they choked. They didn't do it. And I didn't find out about it till this morning. So they came and confessed their sins to me out in the lobby before the service today. But nevertheless, it makes me feel welcome that people are even willing to consider Practical jokes. And you know, I mean, what practical jokes do you do on a pastor is, you know, you talk about heresy and see how he responds, right? Uh, but that's not what we're about this morning. We're about looking at God's Word and seeing what the truth of God's Word is for us today. Uh, all four candles are lit. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. We've been looking forward, looking ahead to the Christmas season where we celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The fifth candle will be lit on the 24th at the Christmas Eve service. So I would encourage you to be here. It'll be a great family service, and you will not be disappointed. You can talk to almost anybody around, whether they're church people or not, and if you ask them what comes to your their mind when they think of the Christmas story, what they will probably do is give you a lot of stuff out of Luke chapter 2, because this is the classic text for the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph, the virgin, the angel, traveling to Bethlehem when Mary's in her ninth month of pregnancy, born in a manger, the shepherds, you know it, okay? And a lot of people will come up with some of those details about Christmas, even if they're not people that are particularly uh, church people or familiar with the Bible. People know that, that kind of stuff. And that's because Luke when he wrote this account of the life of Jesus Christ he went into a lot of detail. He's that kind of guy. He was a physician. He was a a good communicator. And what I want to do today is I want to go one chapter before that and look at Luke chapter 1 because Luke is the only one that gives us some of these details leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. None of the other gospel writers do that. And so in Luke chapter 1 today, in the passage of scripture that Tina just read for us, uh, is something we can we can overlook if we're not careful in terms of the Christmas story, the Christmas account. And then coming up on Christmas Eve, then you'll be able to hear from Pastor Peter about what um, he wants to teach on the 24th. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today, and before we actually look at that scripture, I just want to give you a little bit of the back story that leads up to that particular passage of scripture. Luke introduces us to two people in this passage, and he names them, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he tells us a few details about them that may seem unimportant at the time, but they become very important as the story unfolds. He tells us that Zechariah was a priest in the Jewish uh, faith, that uh, he was a country priest, didn't live in Jerusalem where the main temple was. He lived out in the hill country of Judea. And so no doubt uh, Zechariah and his wife were in some smaller community where they probably had a little synagogue where the Jewish people would gather on the Sabbath day for teaching and for fellowship. Zechariah was a country priest. Luke is kind of straight up with us when he says that both of them were very old. Those are the words he uses. They were very old, both of them. Now, that may not seem flattering at all. Um, It's feeling less flattering to me as time goes along. But he's making a point here that's important to the story. So when you think of Zechariah and Elizabeth, think very old, okay? Think walking with a cane type old. Think fading eyesight old, hard of hearing, maybe holding on to each other as they shuffled down the road together, nearing the end of their life. He says they were very old, and that's a very important detail. But he also says they were very good people. They were righteous in the sight of God. These were, were people that, that had followed their religious beliefs. They were, they were good people. But then Luke gives us the bad news. Zechariah and Elizabeth had lived their entire married life with the stigma of being childless. Now, in our society today, in this day and age, some couples choose to not have children. We know couples that have chosen, for whatever reason, to not have children. That wasn't an option in that day. For a Jewish couple, having children meant everything. It, it, it meant social security for you. That's who would take care of you in your old age. It meant somebody to live close by and look after you and working together, and it carried on the family line. These were all super significant things uh, to a Jewish couple. And so Zachariah and Elizabeth were that couple, the, the childless couple, and they lived with that stigma their entire married lives. As the story unfolds here in Luke 1, Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth had actually come to Jerusalem. There was a rotation where these country priests would come in and help out the priests in Jerusalem, help out in the temple there for a period of time, then they would go back to their, their community where their little uh, synagogues were. Zechariah was there in Jerusalem when this story unfolds for us today. And Luke also tells us that Zechariah had been chosen to be the one to go into the temple and burn incense before the Lord. And this was a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience for a priest. There was a lottery system, and when you were chosen to be the one priest to go in to the inner part of the temple and burn incense before the Lord, it probably wouldn't happen again in your life. It was a great honor, and this was a day that Zechariah got to do that. And so everything was normal up to that point. Zechariah goes in with the incense by himself into the inner part of the temple and then everything changes because he realizes he's not alone there in the inner part of the temple. There's somebody else there and and he's right there standing at that place Luke tells us. Now Zechariah doesn't necessarily know who this is at the time, but Luke gives us a break and says it's an angel. It's an angel that was sent from God, and the angel and Zechariah enter into a conversation with each other. And the angel, after he says the first thing that angels always say when they meet people, which is, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. There's something about their appearance that causes people to be startled. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. I have come with a message for you. And so then the angel starts laying it out. Your prayer has been answered, the angel says. How many prayers had the old priest prayed in his life? You know, which one is it that you're talking about? Your prayer for a child. God has heard your prayer, Zachariah. You and your wife are going to have a baby. Details. It's going to be a boy. You're going to name the boy John. John is going to be well-respected in the community. John is going to have a special assignment from God. Now, Zachariah has taken this all in. He's startled. He didn't expect anybody to be in there, but he's listening to what the angel said. And when the angel stops for breath, Zachariah jumps right in because he's got a question for the angel. And so Zachariah says in verse 18 of Luke 1, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. It seems like a reasonable question to ask. But what Zechariah is really saying to the angel is, Angel, who are you kidding? Who who are you kidding? And Zechariah starts throwing out the I statements. I am an old man. I'm not having any kids. I'm married to an old woman. Look, she's out there with the other people praying, waiting for me right now. I'm married. That woman's not going to conceive and have a a baby. In essence, Zechariah is saying to the angel, I don't believe you. Now, you look at that verse and say, well, Kevin, you're being a little hard on Zachariah. I don't see him saying that. Just wait. Three verses later, the angel is going to say the very thing to Zechariah. You didn't believe me, did you? You didn't believe the message that I brought to you from God. So the angel then responds to Zechariah in kind. The angel comes up with a few I statements of his own and says to Zechariah, I am Gabriel. Who's that? Well, Zechariah knew he was a priest. He knew the Old Testament. He knew that Zechariah was one of God's messengers that God sent to bring messages to people. He was well aware. I am Gabriel, this angel says. I stand in the presence of God. It's who I work for. I work for God. I, I do what... God tells me to do. And I, the angel says, have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. So Zechariah throws up a few I statements as why this could never happen. I'm an old man. I'm married to an old woman. The angel throws out a few I statements that trump everything that Zechariah has to say. And then the angel has a little assignment for Zechariah. And in verse 20, we read that the angel says, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So the assignment for Zechariah is a silent retreat. Zechariah, you're going on a silent retreat and it's going to last at least nine months. Maybe 10, maybe 11, because the angel says these very things that I said are going to happen. They will come true at their appointed time. Zachariah, your unbelief isn't going to change God's plan. God's about something here, and he's going to do it, whether you believe it or not. And the angel's gone. That's it. That's all the angel has to say to Zachariah. He's left all alone in the temple with his little incense thing, and he's speechless And he will be speechless until this child is born. Zechariah walked out of the temple and the people knew something was going on. Because usually the priest is only in for a few minutes and he'd been in a lot longer than that. He's got a weird look on his face. He's pointing to his mouth, shaking his head. I can't talk. He's making motions and people, wow, something happened in there. Indeed it did. But Zechariah can't even tell anybody what happened. He completed his service, Luke tells us, in Jerusalem. He and his wife went back to the hill country of Judea, and Zechariah enters this period of nine, ten, or more months of silence, of introspection, of processing what the angel said, of letting the angel's message roll over in his mind, playing the tape over and over again. What did that mean? What did that mean? And I believe there's three words in the angel's message that probably stood out to Zechariah, because they change everything. And those are the three words, this good news. The angel said, "I've been sent from God with a message for you with this good news. What did the angel mean? What was the angel talking about when the angel said, "I bring you this good news' Certainly, Zechariah had a lot of possibilities of how to answer that question. I mean, number one, the angel said, you're going to have a son. After all these years, the stigma is going to be lifted. You're not going to be that couple anymore. Now, that's good news. But the angel went on to say, this kid is going to be a good kid. He's going to be well-respected. People are going to think highly of him. What parent to be doesn't want to hear that about their child. That's certainly good news. The angel went on to say that this this child's been chosen by God for some kind of a special mission to prepare the way for the Lord. And what priest wouldn't like to hear that about his own son, that he's going to kind of follow me in ministry. He's going to be on a mission from God. That's certainly good news, isn't it? And so Zechariah goes over this in his mind over and over again until the day comes that his son is born. And when that day comes and they're naming the child and they say the name of the child is John, Zachariah's tongue is freed. He can talk. He's been silent for months. And we get to read the first words that come out of his mouth. The passage that Tina read to us today contains exactly what Zachariah said when he was finally able to speak again. And we get to find out what conclusion he comes to about what this good news is. So the first words out of Zechariah's mouth are not words of complaint or asking God why or the punishment didn't really fit the crime. No, the first words out of his mouth are praise. I kind of feel like he'd have fit in here in December where we've said, we want Thanksgiving to be what marks us as a congregation during this Christmas season this year. And Zechariah could have written out his own thankful card by saying praise be to the lord the god of israel because he has come to his people so right away we get a clue where zechariah's line of thinking is going he he's he's giving god praise and he's giving god thanks because god has come to his people Now, Zechariah would have known from the Old Testament that the promise of the Messiah, the promise of God sending his Messiah to this earth was was there in multiple places. It's what the Jewish people were waiting for. And and now Zechariah realized it's it's happening. God is showing up. Zechariah might not have known the name yet, but Jesus, the Son of God, showing up on this earth is what Zechariah is talking about here. This is Christmas, God coming to us, God showing up. Or or as Eugene Peterson, who translated the New Testament in a translation called The Message, says, God moved into the neighborhood. And Zechariah is giving God praise and thanks for that. Now, I'd like us to just take a look at two words this morning that Zechariah uses in this song poem thing that he says, these first words out of his mouth. We don't know if he took nine months to compose this song or if it was totally spontaneous when he was able to talk again. But nevertheless, we get to see these words. And I would just like us to look at the word redeemed. And the word mercy redeemed shows up at the very beginning of this song and mercy shows up at the very end. So just to complete verse 68, the first words out of his mouth, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them and redeemed them. God didn't just show up just to check things out. He showed up on a mission. He showed up with a purpose and Zacharias identified that purpose that God has come to his people And redeem them. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but redeemed isn't a word that I use a lot in my daily conversation. Okay, it's more of a biblical word, but um, I looked it up in the dictionary, and the dictionary definition says that to redeem is to make something that is bad better or more acceptable. It's kind of like an incremental improvement. Take something that's not in such great shape and, and fix it up and make it a little bit better. That's redeemed in terms of a dictionary definition. And, and I'll go along with that to a point, but I will say it's, it's weak. It's incomplete in terms of what Zechariah and Scripture are talking about here. Because when Zechariah is talking about redeemed, and he's talking about it in light of the fact that God has shown up, that God has come to his people, this is much better than making some incremental improvements in the lives of people. Because, see, God didn't come in the flesh. God the Son, Jesus Christ, didn't come to this earth to make bad people good. That wasn't Jesus' mission. Nor was his mission to make good people better. That's not why he came either. He wasn't just trying to improve each of us a little bit. No, Jesus came to this earth to make dead people alive. Now, now that's the biblical redeem. Not making something a little better. No, taking something that was lifeless, which was us. God's design from the very beginning was to be in relationship with his creation, with his humanity. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. Sin entered into the world and became this dividing point between God and his creation. Death entered the world when that happened. Physical death, spiritual death. And now Zechariah says that God has come to change that. He has come to intervene. He's come to redeem his people. Sin killed the relationship with God, separated us from God, but now God is doing the work to repair what was so broken for so long, to redeem us. Zechariah also uses the word rescue in the same context, which I think fits perfectly with the word redeemed, because the word rescue means when somebody does something for us that we could never do for ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves. If we say, oh, I rescued myself. No, that wasn't a rescue. You just fixed whatever was wrong. But when somebody needs to intervene from the outside to do for you what you could never do for yourself, that's a true rescue. And Zacharias says that, that, that God has shown up here to rescue us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. We couldn't make ourselves good enough. If you were here last Sunday when Pastor Christine was preaching, she she talked about that. The efforts we make to make ourselves better so we'll be acceptable before God are meaningless. The effort is on God's part. He does the rescuing. He does the redeeming. And that's what makes all the difference for us. The second word that I want us to look at this morning is the word mercy. Mercy that Zechariah uses at the very end of this passage. And you can look at the passage for yourself, and there's lots more stuff in between redeem and mercy. But um, I do want us to pay a little bit of attention to verse 78, because Zechariah says this, because of the tender mercy of our God. Now, when you think of God, do you think of somebody who has tender mercy towards you? Pastor Christine, again, last Sunday, talked to us about how often our thoughts, when we think of God, go to judgment. They go to his disapproval, his disappointment with us. And Zechariah says here, no, actually God is demonstrating his tender mercy towards us when he comes to where his people are and does for them what they could never do. In the midst of that, because and only because God showed up. God came to where we were. The angel called it good news. This good news. Zechariah got it. He got it in the end. It wasn't about a kid at all, it was about God the Son coming to this earth. Jesus had shown up. He came on a mission to redeem and to demonstrate his love and his tender mercy. us. This is the message of Christmas. This is the message that Zechariah figured out in his time of silence leading up to when he could finally speak once again this good news. Now, I want us to pay attention to one aspect of this narrative before we're done today, and it's simply this. The good news was not good news to Zechariah when he didn't believe it. When he heard the angel's message and he threw up this barrier, I'm an old man, I'm married to an old woman, that's not going to happen to us. I don't believe what you're saying. It wasn't good news to him anymore. Now, I know there's a few of you uh, younger folks in the congregation, maybe teenagers or preteens. Um, and if, if this Christmas, one of your parents uh, came out and dangled a set of car keys in front of you, and said, you know that that car that you've been longing for for the last little bit that you've been talking about and stuff? Well, we bought it for you. It's parked down the street. Didn't want to park it in front of the house because it would spoil a surprise, but here it is. Here's the keys to your new car. It's parked down the street. And if you took those keys and looked at them, said, dad, mom, you're just jerking me around here, and threw the keys on the shelf and went about your business and didn't believe it, well, you wouldn't benefit at all. It wouldn't be good news to you because you never took possession of it. You didn't believe it. And Zechariah didn't believe it at first. And it wasn't good news to him because he didn't believe it. He couldn't respond to what he didn't believe. And that unbelief then became a roadblock of what God wanted to do for Zechariah and what he wanted to reveal to Zechariah. No, Zechariah put up his own roadblock so he couldn't receive and experience what God had for him. But his unbelief, somewhere during that nine-month period of silence and time to think, started to change into belief. He started to ponder the angel's words. He started to see his wife showing. And the unbelief melted away and became belief. And Zechariah's belief then opened the door for him to receive what God had for him and for him to experience what God had for him. And that's why Zechariah can speak in the words that he's speaking in in this song because the unbelief is gone. He's now at a point of belief. He gets it. He's received what God has for him. He's believed the message. One of the other gospel writers, John, um, I believe, encapsulates everything in Zechariah's song here in one brief verse, which is kind of an iconic verse for some of us that, that are more familiar with the Bible. For some of you, this may be the first exposure to this. But in, in this one verse, I think John, John gets it all in here because he says, For God so loved the world, and that's the tender mercies, that Zechariah identified the tender mercies of God. God loved this world so much that He gave His one and only Son. That's God showing up. That's Christmas. That's Jesus Christ coming to this earth. That God gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him, there's that belief piece that Zechariah didn't get at first. And so, wasn't able to receive what God had for him. But once he did, once the belief was in place, then Zechariah could receive what God had for him. That whosoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's the redeem. That's God taking something that was a terrible mess and making it right. Taking something that had no life and giving life to it. God's style of redemption, life out of death, relationship out of separation. This good news. It's good news for us. It can be good news for us. It should be good news for us, as long as we believe it. And and maybe in a a group this size, you know, there may be some of us that are struggling with belief. Belief. There may be some of us that that have a few of our own I statements, like Zechariah had some I statements that kept him from receiving what God had for him. I don't really believe that God is capable of rescuing me. You don't know my stuff. You don't know my junk. I think I'm too far gone. I don't think God can rescue me. I've messed up way too much. Or I can't get past the supernatural part of this. Angels showing up, talking to people, old men and old women having babies. Come on. That's, that's sort of science fiction or Disneyland type stuff, right? I can't get past that. But don't forget this is God that we're dealing with here. This isn't humanity we're dealing with. And if, and if God wants to send a message to an angel, who's going to stop him? if God wants an old man and an old woman to have a baby to demonstrate that God is all-powerful and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, who's going to stop him? No, no, that's, God is supernatural. God functions that way. God reveals himself to that way. But some of us come up with the I can't get past the supernatural roadblock. But when you're in that place, you're, you're positioning yourself to not receive what god has for you it's not good news to you if you can't if you can't believe it but maybe just maybe as you consider the truth of the word of god that we have looked at today maybe you find yourself moving in a direction of belief maybe you just find yourself saying oh maybe maybe god does actually love me unconditionally That it has nothing to do with me and how badly I've messed up. It has everything to do with God and his love, his tender mercy towards me. Or maybe you're starting to understand that that, that this was God's plan to redeem us, his son to come to this earth and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And maybe you're starting to see some truth in that. Maybe you're starting to move towards belief. If that's where you find yourself today, then I would say that today is probably the day for you to acknowledge that this good news is Jesus. And that Jesus is God's provision for you. His only provision for you, not one of four choices, but his only provision for you, but a provision that he freely makes available to you because of his tender mercies for us. And that it's probably time for you to say yes to the provision that God has made for you and to stop trying to fix yourself or be a better person, but just to believe, take God at his word, that this is really what he came for. This was his plan. And so I'm just going to make an invitation here today for anybody who may be at that place of moving into belief that today you wouldn't just walk away from here without responding to that. And so all I'm going to ask is if you're, if you're at that place and you you know what? Yeah, I, I, I am finding that I am believing that. I want to move in that direction. If you're at that place, today, would you just like really quickly just put your hand up for me? Just let me know. And uh, a couple of the pastors are going to be up here at front afterwards. They would love to talk with you and pray with you about that. A very significant decision for you to make. But if you're at that place now, today's the day that you should should go ahead and do that. So if anybody wants to just raise their hand and let me know that, that would be great. Uh, Otherwise, there will be folks up front here. And please feel free to come up at the end of the service and just do business with God. And uh, cement this relationship that God has uh, given everything for you to have with him. And really, let this be the Christmas where this good news actually does become truly good news for you, as it did to Zechariah. Would you pray with me, please? God, you have blessed us so richly with with your word. You've, You've reached out to us. You have communicated with us. You've revealed yourself to us. You've revealed your character to us. And we thank you for that. Thank you for not leaving us wondering. Thank you, God, for making provision for all of our needs. Thank you for sending your son to redeem us. And in doing so, to reveal your tender mercies to us in ways that could never happen otherwise. God, I thank you for this season where we can focus on Jesus Christ and him showing up, him coming, him coming to live among us, him coming to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that the truth of your word will never be far from us as we go through this season. We'll have wonderful opportunities to be with family and friends and to enjoy so much. But I pray that that truth, God, about what this good news really is would never be far from us. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.